0: Um, all right, well, we're going we're gonna to cover a whole book of the Bible tonight, uh, the letter to Philemon. Uh, there's no chapters. It's only verses. It's short. It's one page. Um, we are, um, for those of you who are visiting, we, uh, we are getting very close to the end of um, our five-year trip through the whole Bible. And we've gone sort of in order. We've gone uh, through the Old Testament, take some New Testament breaks, get back into the Old Testament, and the last books that we have remaining are uh, Paul's letters. So um, we've covered most of them at this point. We are going to cover Philemon tonight, and then First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus, and that's that will take us to the fast, the week before Thanksgiving. So um, I don't know what we're going to do after that. Maybe we'll pray about it during the fast. I'm sure that will have, have an effect on where we go. Uh, all right, so open up to Philemon. The reason I decided to do Philemon tonight at the end of our study of Colossians is because they are sort of companion letters, uh, probably sent at the same time. Philemon was a resident of the church of Colossae, probably uh, somewhat of a leader in that church. Um, if not spiritually, then certainly, uh, probably financially, economically, um, he apparently has a church in his house, along with, um, we assume that's his his wife, Effia, uh, uh, and uh, they might have a large household. Sometimes there were larger households where there were beyond your nuclear family. You kind of lived in a household. And I think especially uh, believers would live in households like this. Um, it says, To Philemon, and, and our, to Philemon, our fel, uh, beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, um, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. All right, so he's writing to kind of a family unit. Maybe you could, we could call it, in our terms, we could call it a home group. <laughs> writing to a home group leader and... His, uh, his people, the church in their house. Um, so, and he probably sent it along with the letter to Colossians uh, with Onesimus. So he's writing about Onesimus and he's writing to Philemon, who was uh, Onesimus's master. This was a slave and master relationship. Onesimus and Philemon had had a falling out or something, um, we're not exactly sure what happened, but Onesimus had escaped, uh, run away, and found his way probably to Ephesus, right, which was about 90 miles away from Colossae. Found his way to the big town, the big city, and uh, ran into Paul and the other, the other uh, group of people who were probably being persecuted at that time for... Uh, all that was going on in the city of Ephesus. They were turning the world upside down. It says that all the gospel, the gospel reached all throughout Asia over this course of about three years. And so um, Onesimus finds his way probably uh, to Ephesus and um, runs into Paul and actually gets saved. And uh, that's where, that's where the, the letter picks up. So he probably sent this letter and and perhaps even Colossians with Onesimus and a few others. Uh, I think he mentions uh, Tychicus, who did a lot of traveling and carrying of letters, right? He was kind of Paul's messenger uh, in a lot of ways. Um, So they send this this letter to the church at Colossae, along with this letter to a particular uh, guy named Philemon and his sort of circle within the community, all right? So that's kind of the context. That's why we do it hand-in-hand with um, Colossians. Um, All right, let's just go through it. I think we can go through the whole letter and uh, stop and say a couple things along the way. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how Paul opens almost all of his letters. Um, before we keep going, let's, let's pray. I, I always try and pray before we get too far into this. Father, we thank you for uh, bringing us together tonight. Thank you for the chance to hear your word together, uh, to look into it. And I pray that you administer it to our hearts, Lord that we would hear the thing that the Spirit would say to our church tonight through this letter. Uh, for Jesus' sake, amen. He says to Philemon, he says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. This was very similar to the thanksgiving that he gave to uh, God for the church at Colossae. He says, I've heard what's going on there. And here he, it's personalized. He says, I thank God for you, Philemon, and, and your particular group, uh, because there's evidence in your life and there's, there's reputation that's, that's coming to us. There's, there are reports coming to us that you are genuinely loving the Lord Jesus and all the saints, and here's, um, I think, what the, the big heart of the letter is um, here in verse 6. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Can you hear the, the Colossians uh, overtones there? I mean, the, the letter to the Colossians was, was written to a church that had, been, that had been going for a while, probably through the preaching of Epaphras, and Paul hears about it. He gets reports of this church and the work that's gone on, and, 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 and Paul becomes convinced that the gospel has truly transformed these lives in Colossae. And so he writes to them a letter uh, to equip them to establish the church there in Colossae, okay? The gospel has taken root in their hearts. And what he wants to say to them is not that um, they need to learn a bunch of new stuff now. What he wants to tell them is that in the gospel that you have heard and responded to, you have everything you need. That in Christ, we have everything we need. That there's nothing outside of him. There's nothing in supplement to Christ that we need in living in the way that he's called us to live. He's made it possible for us to turn from our old way and for us to die to the old self and to come alive in the new kind of humanity of which Jesus is the firstborn. And there's now this resurrection life that we can live As a result of the gospel and what what the the work that the father accomplished through Jesus by the Holy Spirit in the truth of the gospel. And the, the letter to the Colossians is written so that they would understand the depths of that. Right. That they would understand, be able to mine the riches of the treasure that's in them, which is Christ. Right. And here he says. I pray that the sharing of your faith, and we'll come back to that in a second, the sharing of your faith, it's an important word, may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us. He says, the goal of, I want, I want to pray for you, Philemon. My prayer for you is the same for all of you in that area, that as you, as you go about building the church, as you go about Jointly participating, that's the word. That's koinonia, sharing, participation, fellowship. Most often it's translated fellowship, okay? I pray that the fellowship, the common life, the common goal in life of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Now here's where this letter... I think, is a companion letter to Colossians. Paul really spells out in Colossians everything that God has done to reconcile us, to bring us back into the kind of relationship with God that we were created for. And here in Philemon, it's a a particular situation. It's a particular relationship, a particular guy and his relationship with Paul. And then another guy named Onesimus and his relationship with Paul, but also his relationship with Philemon. And what Paul wants to communicate through this letter, and I think the reason it's in Scripture, it's not just kind of a window into the ancient world, although it is kind of an interesting <coughs> window into the ancient world, is that just as, just as being in Christ reconciles us fully to God and establishes, establishes our lives as, as the Lord created them to be. Excuse me. <coughs> uh, I'm getting over this uh, like laryngitis thing. So sometimes my, uh, my voice just stops. That same thing that has reconciled us to God has fully reconciled us to one another. And so here we have kind of the horizontal outworking in a very particular situation of the reality-changing truth, the life-changing truth of Christ in you, okay? So I love reading this letter after you read Colossians because I said last week, how do you apply the book of Colossians? I mean, there's so much in it. What do you do? I think here we see in this letter a really solid application of the truth of the gospel in a lot of different ways. That makes sense? Thank you, brother. It, may or may not it. It, just does, it does what it wants to do. So in Colossians, it's... it's You know, as you set your minds on things above, as you fellowship with God, as you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, you will understand to greater and greater degrees what has happened inside of you. The truth of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And here he says, as you live life together, as you participate in this life together, living that kind of life together will cause you To deepen your knowledge of that which is in us. All right, so let me say it one more time. I pray that the sharing, the partnership, the fellowship of your faith may become effective, may energize, that's the word, may empower a full knowledge of every good thing that is in us. What a great verse. I pray that as you live life together, the very fact of fellowship, the very act of participation in this life together, as you relate to one another, is going to deepen your knowledge of understanding of the good thing that is in us. I think that's awesome. For the sake of Christ. And that's kind of an open-ended phrase there. For the sake of Christ. Um, in Greek, it's just unto Christ, <laughs> meaning I think it can mean a number of different things. Us becoming like him, um, us offering this kind of life to him as a, as a, as a uh, gracious response to his work in our lives. But it's unto Christ. And us living this kind of life in obedience to him because we want to show one another that Christ has changed our lives, that he, has, he loves us, and we understand that he's commanded us to love one another in the way that he has loved us. It's for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So he wants to acknowledge, Philemon, I, I, want, I want you to fully know that I think that you, I know that you've genuinely been transformed by Jesus because I've seen how it has come out in your life. Accordingly, he says. And he's going to, now he has a primary appeal. This is the reason that he's written the, the, the uh, letter here. <laughs> Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, Meaning, all right, I'm not, this isn't just a, hey, if you feel like it, you know. Uh, he says, what I'm about to tell you, I think, is, is of highest importance. However, I'm not going to come out and say, Philemon, as an apostle of Jesus, as a card-carrying member of the apostolic authority of this area, I hereby order you to receive this man. No, he says, even though I could do that and that it wouldn't be out of line, I don't want to do that. For love's sake. Because because what we're doing here is working out what it means to truly love one another. I don't want to bring the hammer. I don't want to bring the, the weight of the apostolic office. I prefer to appeal to you. I just want to... Put this out here, Philemon. I want you to tell me, does this seem like a Christ-like response to what he's done in us and what he's doing in our area, in our fellowship? I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I mean, there's, I think there's some rhetorical weight behind that too an old man and i'm in prison you know so he's just pouring on it pouring it on from every from every angle i think strong appeal i appeal to you for my child onesimus so finally we get to all right here's here's why he's writing the letter my child onesimus whose father i became in my imprisonment assuming we mean that he led him to the lord that he discipled him to Jesus and discipled him through a a transformative encounter with God. Formerly, he was useless to you. And this is where we get into a little bit of uh, linguistic. um, There's some puns that happen here because Onesimus' name means useful. Um, And he says, formerly, he was useless to you but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Um, So he's acknowledging that, yeah, I know that you don't think very highly of this guy, but I'm here to tell you that he's he's a different man. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred... To do nothing without your consent in order that, and he, he really does want Philemon to willingly respond to this appeal. That your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. And this is important. Um, this is important in building the church, in, in, in participating in the life of God in a community, that nothing be done in the name of love or service that's under compulsion. Right? It's very important because when things become under compulsion, then everything goes south at some point. People get bitter. They get uh, they get entitled. They get. Um, You know, you've heard love keeps no record of wrongs, but also I think love keeps no record of rights. You know, well, I've done this and this and this and this, and they haven't done anything for me. There's no, you know, Jesus told that parable where he said, which of you who has a servant when he comes in, then you start to, you know, when your servant expects to be served first. He's like, no, when, when, when the servant comes in from the field, then they prepare the master's meal, and then they go and have their food, right? They don't, they don't expect, hey, we're done with our work. Now it's time for the royal treatment. Now it's time for us to, to get something back for our work. It's like, no, that was just, that's what they do. That's the life that we live. In the same way, the life that God calls us to is not one of... Uh, Well, we give because we feel compelled and we're trying to like pay off this debt or we're trying to maintain a certain image. And then when people don't really realize how much we're giving, then we start to get kind of bitter towards everything. Well, no one's really acknowledging this. Yeah. But he says, I want your goodness uh, not to be by compulsion, but of your own accord. It also reminds me of the... um, the part in Exodus where they are going to build the tabernacle. And he says, all right, here's the plans. Here's how God wants it to be done. Uh, Here are the guys that are going to oversee the work. Now, we need some materials. We need some raw materials to make this thing happen. And it says people's hearts stirred in them, and they came and they brought materials for the tabernacle. And by the time it was all done, they had to send people away. No, stop (laughs) stop bringing the materials in. That's how the church is to be built. People's heart being moved by God to give themselves sacrificially to the to the work of the of the church. And that being itself their joy. Right? Nobody was looking for a gift receipt when they brought their lambskins to the, you know, to lay at Moses' feet. Can I get a tax receipt for that? You know? Um, there was no kickback. It was their, their hearts were stirred and they came and they were glad to offer themselves. And so I don't think that God wants to build the church with raw materials that have been <laughs> yanked out of people by compulsion or by manipulation or by guilt. I don't think those materials build a church that can be uh, that can be sound and solid. Anyway. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. He says, you might not believe this, Philemon, but I, I think that, you know, in God's sovereign way, how he moves, if this, it was not a good thing. You were, you were probably pretty put out by Onesimus running away. It was uh, rebellious on his part. He shouldn't have done it. It was an ungodly act on his part. Um." But he says, perhaps this was the way that God was restoring him and you, uh, him to himself. And then in your relationship, Onesimus and Philemon, maybe God had a plan for that relationship. That this happened to, uh, to support. Perhaps this is why he was parted with you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Perhaps he's, in other words, he's saying what was meant for evil, God has turned it for good. And not just, he'll go on to say, he says, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. So perhaps this is a situation, Philemon, where something that was bad, something that you were upset about, something that Onesimus was upset about, this, this rift The separation. Um, This is how God God reconciles. He doesn't just make it the way that it was before, He makes it the way that it should have been all along. Right? This is how He enacts salvation. He doesn't just fix everything that's wrong. Right? He, He didn't just restore us back into the way that Adam was. No, he made us better than Adam, and he gave us a better man to restore us into the image of, and that's Jesus. So he says, we're not just restoring what was lost. We're going far beyond that. And this is how things turn out when God's hand is on the situation, when the Redeemer is involved, right? He doesn't just fix a problem. He doesn't just patch a hole. He gives you a whole new, a whole new room, a whole new house. A beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, and this is a if you consider me uh, a, a fellowship, members of the same fellowship. Receive him as you would receive me. Now, this is very Jesus language, right? Whoever hates you hates me. You know, Uh, the servant's not greater than his master. And Paul here is saying that receive him as you would receive me. Why? Because what has happened to him has made him the same exact kind of human being as I am. And he now deserves every right of brotherhood, of fellowship in Christ that I would. And this is, this is the reality. When people come into the family of God, he said in Colossians, there's no slave and free. There's no uh, Scythian barbarian. Um, there's no, th- these separations that are, that are of the flesh are no longer. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Very much an allegory of the gospel, right? There's a restoration, and he's, he's appealing to him for forgiveness and restoration. But the fact of the wronging is still there. How is that remedied? Philemon was probably impacted financially by this guy. And Paul says, I'll pay for it, right? So this happens. There's there's reconciliation, but there is a cost to reconciliation. And luckily for us, I mean, we we have the glorious truth, I mean, in the gospel that transforms us, that we have been reconciled, not at no cost, but the cost that could never be paid by us has been paid by the blood of Jesus, And so, again, this is the truth that has come into the hearts of the Colossians, into the hearts of Philemon. His debt's been canceled. His debt has been repaid by the blood of Jesus. Remember, in Colossians, it says he has canceled the debt that was outstanding. And here he says, if he has a debt, charge that to my account. And he says, "I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it." And he basically signs. Listen, he signs a blank check. Believe me, I'm good for it, right? <clears throat> to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. <laughs> I'm guessing Paul was involved in Philemon's discipleship, and saying, "Hey, listen, man, um, you owe me. You owe me one anyway." But he says, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. And that benefit is another play on the word uh, useful, Onesimus. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. So Epaphras was... You know, one of the ones who probably helped found the church at Colossae is in trouble in Ephesus, along with Paul. Sends greetings to you, and so do Mark and Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Well, so I I love what this letter does because it it gives us an application of Colossians. It gives us a situation. Here's the situation. This guy, Onesimus, has run away. And Paul, and here's how the gospel works, right? Paul helps Onesimus find the truth of the gospel and find repentance. And for Onesimus, the thing to do is to go back. For Onesimus to live out the life the new humanity that he's been born into, he needs to humble himself and go back. And so Paul, at some point, has had a conversation with Onesimus about that. Hey, listen, Onesimus, I'm glad that Jesus has changed your life and that you are free in Christ. But you still have have an obligation to this guy. And this is a wrong that needs to be righted. So this is, this is interesting, because this happens in Colossians as well. Right after Paul says, there are no markers and distinctions in Christ, and there's the freedom there, and, the, and the, we are all one, and we are all exactly the same, we have the same rights, all that stuff. Then he tells husbands how to treat wives, and wives how to treat their husbands, and children how to treat their parents, and parents how to treat their children, and slaves how to treat their masters, and masters how to treat their slaves. Well, I thought there were no distinctions. No, there are ways, there are stations of life that we find ourselves in. And Jesus doesn't call us to have zero distinctions among ourselves. He says, no, none of that defines who you are in Christ. Christ is all in all. But we each have a, a life to live. And the truth of the gospel is that there is a way to live every kind of life that reflects and images the glory of God. And so we're not seeking to all be the same kind of, have lead the same kind of human life, have the same income, have do all this, you know, achieve the same outcomes in our life. That's not what God calls us to do. That's not what the unity of the gospel is about. It's about achieving the same goal in every aspect of life, in every kind of human life, a a male human life, a female human life, a slave human life, a master human life, a child's life, a parent's life. There is a way to reflect the glory of God in every kind of life. And every person has equal access, equal opportunity to all the riches and the glory of God in order to reflect that in every kind of life. So if you find yourself transformed into the image of Jesus and you're a dad, there's a way to be a dad that reflects the glory of God. If you are a wife and you've been transformed, you don't seek to now all right, we got married, we were not saved, and so now there No, there is now a way to be a wife. Glory to God, you now know what that means. And so here's, with, this, with the master and the slave, <clears throat> we're not addressing here the question of, is slave, does the Bible condone slavery or not? That's not really what Paul sets out to, to talk about here. He says, hey, here's a fact of our society. There's a master and a slave. just so happens that these two guys have both been saved and, have, and are actually in the same fellowship of believers. What should they do? Well, they should read the letter to the Colossians. But in particular, in this relationship, Onesimus is sent back to Philemon, and Philemon is urged to receive him back as a brother. What an opportunity then to put the truth of the gospel to the test in this community. What an amazing opportunity. Isn't this awesome? I I love that this letter is like an appendix to Colossians. Like, all right, here's a little case study of how to live a gospel-transformed life. You had an escaped slave who got saved. You had his wealthy master here in the church providing for the church, and this guy was just a headache this slave was just a headache. He was useless. But now he's been transformed and now he's coming back. What do we do? What does the gospel tell us? And remember when we started Colossians, I said the challenge for us is going to be how can we come at every situation in our life and say, I don't need some esoteric wisdom out here. I don't need some kind of religious observance ritual to approach this. I need to understand the depths and and the wisdom and the riches that are in Christ, who is already inside of me. And I need to grow in my knowledge and understanding of that so that I can reflect the image of God in this situation. And I don't need someone to tell me what to do unless what they're telling me to do is seek God, you know, seek the will of God, resign your will to his, understand the heavenly vision and live that out in this situation, right? That's what, we're, that's what the church is called to do. And so Paul's giving this church just an awesome little test, a little case study to uh, to live out the life, the transformed life of the gospel in their community. Amen? So I love this. I, I, you know, just as we've been praying in, out of the letter of Colossians that we would understand the depths of Jesus, that we could see him, that our hearts would be opened and that our knowledge would grow. The prayer here in Philemon is that our fellowship, our joint participation, as we keep doing this willingly, not out of compulsion, as we keep loving one another, as we keep serving one another as we keep finding ways to help each other grow and to, uh, to encourage one another, that work itself deepens our knowledge of what's in us. Right? When you've got an opportunity, there's no better opportunity if someone wronged you and that person got saved and they came to this church. There's no better opportunity for you to live out the gospel than that situation. If someone caused you headache upon headache, and somewhere out there they got saved, radically saved, and they came back, you have an amazing opportunity to live a Colossians life. Amen. Amen. That's where that's where it happens. In our fellowship. That's what because that situation you go, oh man. How do I do this? I'm going to go seek God. In seeking God, I'm going to realize ways in which he's loved me. When I've wronged him, way worse than this person has wronged me. Oh, God. I've received your love. I've already known. I know this already. I know how to love them because you've already loved me that way. That's the gospel life. That's the gospel fellowship of believers. We Love one another. And when the challenge comes, I don't know how I'm going to love this person. It, it causes us to set our minds on things above. And to get above the situation. How, Lord, what is, the, what is the situation here? How do I love? And we receive our answer. Which is usually in the form of just a reminder of the cross and the blood of Jesus. And... Then we pour ourselves out. And that's how we grow in knowledge of what's inside of us. See, that's what's inside of you. You can be like Jesus. Here's an opportunity to lay your life down. It causes you to seek the face of God. And then you come back to this situation, knowing more of Christ in a tangible, life-changing way. You've been transformed more into his image as you do that. The sharing of our faith becomes effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us. So that's the challenge. That is is the challenge for us coming out of these letters. Partnering together in our faith. And that partnership being the energy behind deepening our knowledge of what's already inside of us. Amen. Such a big part of that is remembrance. So much of Colossians points us to something that's already happened. Historically in in Jesus, 2,000 years ago, but also historically in our lives, when we first heard the grace of God in truth. How he says in chapter 1 of Colossians. We first heard about the grace of God and understood it in truth. That's happened in our lives. And so weekly we remember, this is why we weekly remember what our Lord told his disciples on the night in which he was betrayed. He took bread, he said, this is my body is broken for you. This is the blood of the new covenant. Our relationship with you is going to be established now on the blood of my own son. And that's the bond, that's the access that gives you full rights of membership in my family because my son has made it possible for me to welcome you into the family under the forgiveness that was won by the cross. We remember that. The Passover, which is what this is a fulfillment of, was a remembrance of how God brought them out of Egypt and saved them from an enemy that was more powerful than them. And so we remember every week that Jesus took the initiative laid down his life for us when, when we didn't deserve it and delivered us from a life of slavery to ourselves. This is a celebration of the saving work of God that we remember every week. So let's come to the table with joy in our hearts and with a rejoicing in remembering Jesus, remembering the cross and remembering what is the basis now of our fellowship with the Father. It's the blood of his son, Jesus. And that allows us full access into his presence to not just set our minds on things above, but to actually participate and identify with Christ, who is at the right hand of the Father. Amen?